0: Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. I have been so encouraged to hear about the wonder-working power of Almighty God in the lives of His people. And what a great joy because that is our heart as pastors and overseers here is to see the plan of God flourish in your life in your marriage in your home and what a joy to see God move when you set your heart to seek him to spend time with him and I have been strongly encouraged and i I believe that we are a church of prayer amen that this isn't just a month of prayer, but by the power of God's Spirit, each of us and all of us corporately have been anointed to pray by the Spirit of God. So, as we conclude today this series on prayer, I want to go to Matthew seven and verse seven, and I want to read one scripture to sort of set the tone and the the uh, foundation for what I want to communicate in the time we have together today. Matthew 7, in verse 7. Jesus says, ask, and it will be. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. I want to teach today a message titled, Prayer Partners. Prayer Partners. Will you say that with me? Prayer Partners. Let me pray. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I thank you that before the foundation of the world, Lord, you had in your heart a desire for a family. Lord, we behold what manner of love that you bestowed upon us that we would now be that family. Children of the Most High God, I thank you through the blood of Jesus we've been redeemed, we've been purchased, we've been drawn out of darkness and sin and brought into your marvelous light, and I thank you, Lord, that today we rest in your kingdom and in your purpose that you have for us. Lord, as we look to you, we ask that, Holy Spirit, you would work hearts and minds in this church, that you would be glorified in us and through us. I yield to you, Holy Spirit, I am desperate for your empowerment to communicate the word of God that Christ would be manifested and revealed. We thank you, Lord Jesus, you build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail in Jesus name. Amen. And what is referred to by many as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus calls his disciples to himself. Very important note that scripture makes. It says that he calls his disciples to himself and in the company of the multitudes he begins to teach regarding the ethics and the culture of this new community that he's forming. It's sort of like those of us that are interested in church planning, or those of us that were a part of this church plant, it's sort of like Jesus has an interest meeting about a new church that's forming. And he begins to set the tone of what this new church, this new community is going to be about, what they're going to participate in, what they're going to be focused on, and about. Halfway through, about the middle point of his discourse, we come to Matthew 6 and verse 33, and here's what Jesus says. He says, but seek first. Someone say first. But seek first the kingdom of God. See, I wonder at that point if the disciples were leaning in and say, Jesus, is this a seeker church? Jesus, are, are, are is this a church where we can seek and know that our needs are going to be met, that our families are going to be taken care of. Uh, Lord, what what type of church is this? And Jesus says, but seek first. I know you have questions. I know you have cares. I know you have concerns. I I know things are happening in your life. I, I know that you're in the world, though you're not of the world like unbelievers, and there's things that you need, and there's things that you're asking about. Yet, in all of that, in all the seeking and all the questioning, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Now, what is very important to note, very often overlooked, is that Jesus makes this statement after he has been speaking about charitable giving, as he has been speaking about prayer. And as he has been speaking about fasting, now our focus this month has been of course on one of those three on prayer. And we're going to continue to look at prayer and conclude this series today. But I want to make two quick points from this passage that Jesus makes here, seeking first the kingdom of God. Number one, you can follow along on your sermon cards. if you don't have it, you can raise your hand, they'll get it to you now. But number one, prayer, is partnering with God. Notice Jesus says, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And Jesus has just finished talking about prayer, charitable giving, and fasting. What Jesus is saying is, one of the ways to seek first His kingdom, one of the ways to seek first His righteousness is through prayer. So prayer is a way we partner with God. That's why we seek His kingdom and His righteousness. See, prayer is a way to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. What this means for you and I is a lack of prayer is evidence of our dependence on our own righteousness. A lack of prayer is evidence of our dependence on our own ability to do right. Our own ability to resist wrong. When we have prayerlessness, whether we do it consciously or unconsciously, we are inevitably saying, Lord, I can, in my own ability, do right. Now, I've lived long enough to know that that is a lie. It's a lie for me, it's a lie for you, it is a lie for us, that on our own ability, and this darkened, deceived, broken, and messed up world, we cannot in our own ability do right. Can I hear an amen? But when I have prayerlessness, I am believing alive or either consciously or unconsciously that I can do right through my own ability. Likewise, a lack of prayer is evidence of our independent kingdom building. Because notice Jesus says when you seek first, His kingdom, one of the ways that you will do that and position yourself to do that is through prayer. So when I do not have prayer, what it means is is my focus is building my kingdom, my legacy, my vision, my aspirations. So number one, prayer is partnering with God, with His kingdom and His righteousness, His ability to do what's right. Number two, we see from this verse that prayer is partnering with God today. That's very important. That we're not a people that just depend on the past where we've partnered with God. I'll never forget as a young minister and a young man following the Lord and serving Him that after God had helped me and led me to write the two books and began to open doors for me to travel some and see the... Books and the curriculum get into churches. A, a pastor asked me at that time, I was probably just uh, touching 30, I was probably about 28, maybe 29. And the pastor looked at me and he said, Chad, I've been in ministry much longer than you, I've not written any books. Here, you have already published two, already been a part of a church plan overseas, and he said, what are you going to do now the rest of your life? Go to Disneyland? It was a very challenging question because the heart of it is this, is that I don't just, you just don't, we just don't partner with God in the past. And we don't just partner with God in the future. But prayer is a way to partner with God today. See, this is why the very next verse in Matthew 6, 34, Jesus says, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What it means is prayer is partnering with God today, and as I partner with God today in prayer, prayer is a way to become more mindful of today. Now, I don't know about you, but I have often felt suspect or felt captive to that thought in my head when the alarm goes off, that 15 more minutes of sleep will do me more good today than getting up and spending 15 minutes with Almighty God, my perfect Father. At the end of the day, is 15 more minutes going to do us more good than spending time in the presence of God, who has purchased all our minutes, who has created time? Who is outside of time and greater than time, the eternal one? See, the question that faces us is will we actually be more tired if we get up and pray? Or will we actually be more engaged today if we get up and pray? See, prayer is a way to become more mindful of today. And when you become more mindful of today, do you know what your experience is? It's more peace. And more joy in the moment. You know why? Because Paul said in Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, watch this, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Meaning, when I partner with God today, when I partner with God today by seeking His kingdom and His ability to do right, then I experience more of His kingdom, which is peace and joy today. There are benefits. Today, of being in God's presence. Can I hear an amen? See, the worries of tomorrow hinder us being wide-eyed for today. We've been talking about, it's been a reoccurring theme coming up in our gatherings, about having our heart wide open and our eyes wide open. Pastor Craig mentioned today about, standing and continuing to be amazed and seeing the outstanding nature and quality and essence of our God and our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. but See, the worries of tomorrow hinder us from being wide-eyed today. Probably what Jesus had behind the statement where he said, if you want to enter and experience more of the kingdom, become like a little child. Alana, my two-and-a-half-year-old, has never came to me early in the morning, waking me up. She normally wakes up. We had a miracle this week. I'm telling you what, you're talking about prayer working. I'm talking about Michelle and I were the first ones up one day this week. The kids were still sleeping. I was concerned the rapture happened at first. I was like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? I mean, that was a miracle. but. Alana's never came. Alarm, say, Daddy, 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 what are we going to do tomorrow? Like little children living in the moment, wide-eyed, free from a care. Don't care if she finds a paintbrush left out by someone in our house. No names will be mentioned with paint still on it and paints to the table. One of the only things I have ever bought myself and liked. Care free. I don't know. You know why? Because she lives wide-eyed for today. See, prayer is also a way to become less mindful of tomorrow's troubles, which means you experience less anxiety today. If Jesus says there's trouble today that will create stress and create anxiety, that means the troubles tomorrow also create stress and anxiety. But when you focus on the troubles today and the troubles tomorrow, that's when you begin to feel overly stressed, overly burdened. Sometimes we won't name names. Overly emotional. Or overly sensitive. But prayer is a way to become less mindful of to tomorrow's troubles, which means less anxious. This is why Paul in Philippians 4.6 Some translation says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer. Other translation says, be anxious for nothing. How do you become careful and anxious for nothing? He tells you, by prayer. Let your requests be made known to God. See, listen to me. Here's the heart of your perfect father if you're a child of God today. God does not desire that tomorrow's troubles keep troubling you today. It is not God's desires that tomorrow's troubles keep troubling you today. And prayer is also a way to receive more faith, to trust Him with our care. That's why in Matthew 6, 30, uh, Jesus says, Listen, if God clothes the grass of the field, which is today and isn't tomorrow, how much more will He clothe you, O you, of little faith? What He's saying is, is the way you grow faith is my spending time with the only one who can author and finish and perfect and grow your faith with God. So listen, number one, prayer is partnering with God. Number two, prayer is partnering with God today. And number three, prayer is partnering with the hand of God. Now, I have found that the hand of God is greater than the hand of Chad. I have found that the hand of God is greater than the hand of man. I have found that it's better to depend on the hand of God than the hand of many men and women. That God's hand can go where the hand of man can't go. God's hand can reach where no human hand can reach. And prayer's a way to partner with the hand of God. That's why the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 5, 6, listen to what he says. He says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Like we sang, nothing is impossible. The question is, are we in a posture of partnering with the mighty hand of God? Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Watch this, that he may exalt you. Oftentimes, when we think about hands, we think about just discipline. We think just about judgment. Maybe based on our experience growing up with authority figures or our parents. But listen, the hand of God and the heart behind the hand is ultimately to exalt you into the purpose He has for you. The hand of God is not to, He's not looking to strike you. He's not looking to suppress you. He's not trying to withhold His good pleasure from you. No, the hand of God is trying to exalt you into a broad place, into an assignment, into what He has for you, for you to experience the inheritance that you have in Christ Jesus. Can I hear an amen? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you. But here's the key, in due time. Someone say there's a due time. And notice the due time is only after verse 7, you learn to cast all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. What this means is, under the mighty hand of God in the secret place, we find the context to deal with first things. Before being exalted, before being given a place of responsibility that God has purchased for us through the redemption in Christ Jesus, before walking in our kingdom assignment, before reaching and pressing towards our high calling in Him, there is a first thing. There are first things. And one of the first things is learning how to deal with stressful cares in your life. Before He exalts us, we are to learn how to deal with our cares. We have to learn to cast them not carry them. you got to understand that the more you grow in Christ Jesus, the more responsibility God gives into you for kingdom and more authority He puts upon your life for His glory. It doesn't mean there's less cares. There's always going to be cares. In fact, people that have no cares, have no concerns, are normally people whose heart have become so numbed and so closed. We care about people, amen. We care about our marriage, amen. We care about our children, amen. We care about our city. We care about those that we work with. We care about our careers. We care about our health. We care about things. Cares don't go away. But the first thing is learning in prayer to cast our cares to a perfect father who cares instead of always carrying our cares Ourselves. This is important. Why? Because if you don't learn to cast your cares before you're exalted and you receive more cares, you're not going to be able to depend or you're not going to be able to walk under the weight of those cares. See, when second things become first things, things first get worse before better. When we focus on second things, like God, when are you going to exalt me? God, when are you going to do this? God, when we focus on second things before focusing on the first thing, which is learning to experience practically His care by learning to cast our cares in prayer to Him, then things will get worse first. See, you got to learn, I have to learn, we have to learn in prayer to deal with our personal cares before we're able to deal with people's cares. God wants us to learn in His presence how to depend upon the Holy Spirit to deal with our mouth first, our home first, our family first, our own finances first, before we can deal with the cares of others, their mouth, their marriage, their home. This is why when you see about the qualification for a leadership in a local congregation, you know what the first priority always is at? Them learning to deal first with their personal cares Because God doesn't want to exalt you to start dealing with others' cares if you've not learned to trust in His perfect love and care for your own cares first. Why? Because God's not trying to get you to walk in your purpose and kingdom assignment where it ends up destroying you. He wants it ending up making you feel complete and full of joy. And the way is my first learning to deal with first things. First things. See, we are exalted with more responsibility as we learn to carry less of our own care. It's sort of like the old saying, and we preached on it many, many months ago, about we all have a plate, and only so much can fit on the plate. But when you learn to cast your personal cares that's on your plate to the perfect Father who cares for you, that frees up more space on your plate for God to give you responsibility to serve others and to partner with others in prayer and other means about their cares. You see that? This is how you free up space. At some point, we all will max out emotionally, mentally, prayer time and things like that, so we learn to deal with first things, our own cares, before God exalts us to then take on and serve others in their cares. The more you cast cares the more you can receive responsibility. So this leads us to number four. Prayer is to partner us with God's first priorities. You know God has first priorities? Jesus right here, right after the verse, he goes right into a first priority in Matthew 7, verse 3. He says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or, how can you say to your brother, Let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, everybody say first. First, remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is a first thing. A first thing is learning how to deal with our own cares, with our own issues, to allow the Spirit of God to work in our own life before we seek to be used by the Spirit, and be involved in other people's cares in life. See, when I seek first each day the kingdom and His righteousness in prayer, watch this, I see myself in God's light before I ever see another in my light. Listen to me. Learning the first priority, if I seek first His kingdom and His ability to do right each morning, then that means there's never a time where I see others in my light through comparison, through my personal judgment, before I have seen myself in God's light. So the way to become more merciful, more compassionate, more gracious, more understanding, is learning the first things of seeing yourself first in God's light before you ever judge others in your life. What this means is in prayer I can first get my sight right. In prayer, I can first get my soul right. In prayer, I can first get my spirit, meaning my attitude, right. This all happens when I seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Notice what Jesus said next in Matthew 5 44. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. What this means is, Jesus says, In prayer, I can deal with anger, unforgiveness, and hurt. See, in prayer, in secret with God, I can process my suffering. Prayer partners us with the God who understands suffering. That's why the question of asking God, why do you allow suffering, really no longer needs to be asked because it's asked as if God is not acquainted or intimately Uh, Experience with suffering. Of course he is, because our gospel is a gospel that's centered upon Christ crucified. A God that is well, well versed and experienced in suffering. But a God who out of the suffering brings resurrection. He brings new life. He brings new hope. He brings new expectation. He brings newness. We're a God that's acquainted with suffering. But it, and therefore, it's in the presence of Almighty God that we can learn to deal with our suffering. Why is this? Because, listen, I would rather in secret with God process my issues than publicly have to process them surrounding with prying eyes. Are you with me? I don't know about you, but I would rather process in secret the areas in my life that need the touch of God that need the sanctifying work of God, that need the healing hand of God, that need the purifying fire of God, I would rather process those things in private than before a bunch of prying eyes. Am I the only one? This is the opportunity we have daily. To come boldly to a throne of grace through Jesus Christ. The one that was well acquainted with griefs and sorrows on our behalf. So in prayer, we can deal first with such issues where we've been cursed by others, where we've been done wrong, those that have spoken against us. We can process this, all all such issues out of sight before they flow out of our heart in the sight of others. Prayer is an opportunity to deal with them out of sight, before they flow out of our heart in the sight of others. This is why James 5.13 says, Is anyone, someone say anyone means me. If anyone is suffering, let him pray. Let him pray. This is what the Psalms illustrates, right? That in prayer and spending time with God, we can process our, our anger and our issues and the the. Temptation of the devil to hold on to unforgiveness and areas where we're suffering. The Psalms illustrate that with God in the secret place, we can process it. What this means is, listen to me, there should be prayers prayed that would make our friends cringe. I'll say it again. There should be prayers prayed in the secret place that if our friends and family heard, would make them cringe. Why? Because we can process all of that emotions, all of the rage, all of that in the presence of our Father who already knows and yet deeply cares. It's the wonderful thing about prayer. You know, there's other first things Paul mentioned in uh, 1 Timothy 2, one. He says, therefore, I exhort first of all that supplication, prayers, and intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, all persons, for kings, and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life. Now, I've never met a person, truly a godly person, and really even an unbeliever, that ultimately at their heart, despite all their dysfunction or what they're going through, doesn't want a peaceful life and a good life. But notice, there's a first before that learning to pray for others, pray for those in authority. First of all, that we may then lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. What this means is prayer helps us focus on the first things. So prayer is partnering with God. Prayer is partnering with God today. Prayer is partnering with the hand of God. Prayer is partnering with God's first priorities for us. Now let's look at the Scripture that we opened with and began with this morning. Go back to Matthew 7 and verse 7. Ask, someone say ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, someone say seek, and you will find. Knock, someone say knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Notice that, ask, Seek and knock. If you need to receive something, then ask for it. If the way forward in your life is missing, then seek it. If you need something, an opportunity open for you, then knock. Let's talk about ask, seek, and knock. When it comes to asking, it's very similar to what the last time I was in the pulpit talked about, about minding the gap. Is that you begin to find that there's some needs in your life. You have a gap. You have a need. We're to mind the gap by asking our perfect heavenly Father according to his will to meet that gap in need. So asking is related to petitions. Petitions are requests. We see this in 1 John 5 and 14. Now this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, here it is, we know that we have the petitions. So notice, asking is related to petitions. We know that he hears us, and we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. See, we petition him who has all authority to perform his will. We petition him who has all authority to perform his will to give us the things we have need of. This is why in Matthew 6, 8, Jesus contrasts the prayer of his community, his believers, his followers, from those that are unbelievers or those that follow false gods or pray to false gods. He says, therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Watch this, our Father in heaven. Now, this is important. Because Jesus says, when you have a need, you need to ask. When when you have a need, you need to petition Him, who has all authority, who has all provisions for what you need in life and godliness. But then He says, in this manner, pray, Our Father. What this means is, if you're going to learn to get your needs met, you have to learn to approach God as your Father. What this means for many of us, it means we have to deal with our daddy issues and our father issues and our spiritual authority issues in order for us to know the perfect. Loving care of our Father who knows our needs, who cares about our needs, who wants us to ask Him, who is not, you know, taken back by us asking, but who invites us to ask. It means we have to process these issues. They must be confronted and renewed to our perfect Heavenly Father. Listen to me. Your perfect Heavenly Father is aware of your needs, even before you ever ask them, and yet He wants you to ask Him. You know why He wants you to ask Him? He wants you to ask him so that when he meets them, it becomes evidence of how much he cares about you and your needs. We know he wants you to ask because James 4 says you have not because you ask not. So listen to me. What do you do when you know you have a need that is the Father's will to meet? You ask and you mind the gap. What do you do when you lack something that the Father has purchased for you through the finished work of Christ. You ask Him for it, and you mind the gap. And here is the promise, Matthew 7, 8. For everyone who asks, who everyone who asks the Father and has had their mind renewed that He's a Father that cares, a Father that has made provisions for all your needs in Christ Jesus, everyone who asks, guess what? Receives. My goodness. What motivation for prayer. And you know why you receive? So that you can know by experience His care and concern for you. This is why prayer is a way that leads to receiving more faith to trust Him with our cares. If you come in the community of believers and you look up to some believers and say, man, how do they trust the Father through what they're going through? How do they just rest though they have such needs? We know how they trust because they have a previous experience and many previous experiences of learning to ask the Father and Him meeting their needs, and they have become well acquainted, well persuaded, that their Father, their Heavenly Father, cares for them, is concerned for them, and therefore, though they're facing a great concern, they have a history of experiencing that their Father hears and answers and cares. Can I hear an amen? See, the more you ask and the more you receive, the more you experience His care and concern for your needs. Think about this. Jesus says right here in this context in Matthew 7 and verse 11, If you then, Chad, if if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Notice that. If you're a father here and you understand how you delight to give good things to your children? How much more does your perfect heavenly Father delight to give you good things, things that you need in order to live out the life He's designed for you, to live out a purpose that will bring glory to Him? And here's the hope. The hope is that the more you receive the Father's good gifts, you would become open to the possibility that He might just also have a good purpose for you. If God has good gifts for you, then just maybe He has a good purpose for you. If you've experienced good gifts, then just maybe, just maybe you'll start to believe that He also has a good purpose for me. Can I tell some of you that you're about to transition from just asking and receiving needs to start seeking, and you're about to find a new assignment, kingdom authority, His purpose, how He wants to live in you and through you. Some of you are about to transition from just asking in prayer and spending time with the Father, asking and receiving, to now transition to your time with the Father of seeking the way He has for you, the purpose He has for you. Some of you, you say, God, you just filled me recently with your Holy Spirit. For what purpose? God, you have empowered me, but what is it for? God, what do you want me to do? This is seeking. This is seeking he's been giving you good gifts to get you open now to seeking, he might have a good purpose for me. I have been given what I need, now what am I to do with the rest of my life? See, when Michelle and I were in Europe, I I mentioned last time in this series in the the sermon, Minding the Gap, how it was one of the things that culturally stood out to me in communication and words used of how you would hear repeatedly, please mind the gap. But you know something else that we would repeatedly hear and would see posted all over? Please mind your step. Don't just please mind the gap, but also please mind your step. This is what seeking is about. If asking is about please mind the gap, then seeking is about please mind your step that God has a way forward for you. God has things that he wants to lead you in. Ephesians 2.10 says that when you were born again and you were recreated in Christ Jesus, you were created for good works that you would walk in them. This is seeking and this is minding your step. Listen to me. What are we to do when we don't know what to do? We're to seek and please mind our step. What are we to do when we need knowledge about his will for our life? We're to seek, we're to mind our step. What are we to do when we need knowledge about what job to take? We're to seek, where to mind the step we're about to take. About what career? Seek and mind your step. College students, young people seeking for what is to be your long-term career. What do you do when you're seeking? What do you do when you're facing it? You seek and you mind your step. Some of you, are, where should I live? Where should I allow my roots, my family to really, My family roots to go down. You're to seek that. You're to mind your step. And the good news is everyone who seeks finds. See, listen to me. Prayer partners our steps with the steps of the Spirit. Prayer partners our steps with the steps of the Spirit. Seeking concerns itself with the way of God. You've received some of the resources of God. God has given you your needs met. Now you need to seek what is the way of God to use the resources that he's given you. It's like Ezra eight twenty one. 21. Scripture says, Ezra proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek for him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. Now we have a family. Now we have possessions. Now we're, you know, been experiencing God's provision and needs. Now we're seeking what shall we do? What's the right way for us forward? What I'm trying to say is is that some of you have only been asking when you need to be seeking. When you're not clear what God has for your life, you're not to ask, but you're to seek. You're to search it out. Don't Don't ask for in prayer what you need to seek out in prayer. Seek the mind of Christ about your situation. When you're not clear what assignment God has for you in His kingdom, you're to seek to find it out. When you lack knowledge about God's will for your path, you're to seek and to mind your step. Seek out the next step God has for you. Seek out the plan of God for your life. Seek out the way and path God wants you to take. This brings us back to Matthew 7, 7, and 8 again. So ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. And then lastly, Jesus says, knock, it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. Shell and I, as we toured and walked around, we not only heard, please mind the gap. We not only heard and saw, please mind your step. But lastly, you know what we saw a lot of? Please mind the door please mind the door. Every time we got in our elevator in London, they'd say, please mind the door. Every time we got out the elevator, they say, please mind the door. Minding the door is knocking. This has to do with the work that God has for you in His kingdom. See, God wants you to experience His care and concern for you by you learning in prayer to ask, and to see God answer your petitions. To grow you to a place where you know that He'll meet any of your needs, therefore now you have a confidence that God's going to meet your needs, so now let me seek the way and the path He has for me and the things He has for me. But now once I'm on the path, and I've not just been minding the gap and minding my step, now I need to mind the door. Because listen to me, you might be called to be a mechanic but you want to walk through the right door and be at the right mechanic shop because God's got a sphere of influence designed for you. God's got a work that the anointing of God will come upon your hands. It will come upon your mental faculties. It will come upon the talents and the gifts He's given you, and it will cause fruitfulness to abound. For Jesus' name's sake. can I hear an amen? And this is what knocking is about. I have asked and I've received the needs that I have had. I have sought and I've become clear on the path and purpose God has for me in his kingdom. Now, which door on the path am I to walk through? This is knocking. It has to do with the open doors for you to accomplish the work you've been created to to perform. God, you've answered my needs. God, you began to give me clarity on my assignment and how you've given me gifts and how Christ wants to live through me. Lord, now that my needs are met, now that I'm clear on my assignment, God, I'm knocking to know what is the specific context, where is the specific place you want me to fulfill, what you've created me to do. I've been asking and I've seen you give me what I need. I've been seeking and I've now found clarity. And Lord, now I'm knocking, I'm knocking for an open door, an open context, an open sphere to do what you've created and called me to do and to use what you've put in my hand. Hallelujah. I have what I need. I need to know, or I have what I need, I know what I need to know, now I need an open door to perform it, I'm knocking. I have what I need, I know what I need to know, now I'm looking for an open door, I'm knocking. I am content. I am clear. Now I need a context. What a good place to allow in your time with the Father. See, we got to get that. When we think of prayer, we think bigger than just asking. we got to think of prayer as spending time with the Father because he wants to transition. He wants to meet your needs. He wants to answer your requests so that then you can begin to seek. And then as you seek and become clear, then you begin to knock. Okay, God, I have what I need. I know what I need to know. Now I'm ready for a context to use what you've given me for your glory. I'm knocking. I'm knocking. This is where charitable deeds come in. One of the greatest ways you can seek in spending time with the Father is through fasting. One of the greatest ways that you get your petitions met is by asking in prayer. But one of the greatest ways you learn to knock on, God, what door do you have for me? Where is the context where you want to anoint my hands or anoint my mouth or anoint my feet to do the work you've created in me? One of the greatest ways to knock is through charitable giving. Listen, you start serving. And you'll find out real quickly where the grace and the empowerment of God's Spirit doesn't come upon you. And you'll find out real quickly where the anointing and the power of God does come upon you in a context. I, I, I'm thankful. It's not always the, the best way, but I'm thankful for how God used it in my life that I was in a context or where... If they found ready hands and ready feet, they just threw you in. It's like throwing you in the swamp in the bayou, and you just have to defend the crocodiles for yourself, the alligators. And I was thrown into a lot of situations early on in ministry. And I thank God for it, even though it's not the best way but God uses it for my good. You know why? Because I found out real quick, Armando, what I wasn't anointed and gifted. When I was around those young folks and I started having the devil put visions in my mind of throwing a desk and showing that student how small and humble they really need to be, I said, God's not anointed me to be around these young folk all the time. I knew very clear early on that my path to what I'm walking in now wasn't the normal path of to be a youth minister until you got old enough for the adults to actually listen to you and then became like an adult minister. I knew very early it was going to be different. I was going to be one of those young bucks that just had to learn to not be intimidated by your own age, right? Don't let people look down on you for your age and just serve people older than me. That was my path. But you know how I learned it? Get out there in charitable giving. Just start serving. See where the anointing and the grace of God comes upon you. See where people start recognizing that it's not you, but it's Christ working through you. Start seeing where people start acknowledging the fruitfulness of Christ in you. This is knocking it's a lot easier for God to direct and redirect in the open door someone that's moving than a car that's in park and with the emergency brake on. Listen, God's not scared of you knocking. He says, knock, and you will. What? You'll find it. Some of you are saying, God, what, what are you anointing me to do? What's, what, what's the door you have where well, you're not going to do it paralyzed by fear? scared you're going to mess up. No, 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 you got to get out there knocking. Knocking you will find. You need an open door? You need to knock. You you need a context to do the work that God has for you, to use the gifts that you're now clear about, to use the resources that you've now received and been blessed and bountiful in? If you need a context, then just knock. Listen, young people, don't just start knocking before you have learned to ask and before you have sought. Some people start knocking on a door that they don't even have needs in their own life dealt with and received God's provision for yet, nor are they clear on how God's gifted them, and yet they're knocking on a place of ministry. Listen, don't start there. Start learning in the presence of your father that he cares for you and let him meet some needs in your life and let him then show you and give you clarity on the path he has for you. Then start knocking. Then start knocking. Listen. There is an order to keep the fire burning. You want to keep the fire of the Holy Spirit burning in your life? Huh? You want to keep the fire of your love burning for your Father and for the Lord Jesus Christ His kingdom and the Holy Spirit? There's an order. Let me talk to you about this order. See, prayer partners you, number five, with the order of God. In Leviticus 6 and verse 9. Command Aaron and his son saying, look at it on the screen, this is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be upon the hearth, upon the altar, all night until morning. And the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. Notice that. The fire shall be kept burning, verse 12. And the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not be put out. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning. Listen, I know some of you are going through a lot of things. I know there's a lot of cares trying to build up. I know that there's a lot of attacks of the enemy and a lot of inward struggles that the Lord's working on in your life. But here's the one thing you've got to defend like a lineman. You've got to defend like an NFL all-star. I mean, you've got to defend like someone that understands the importance of it is you have to defend your fire on the altar. You've got to defend your prayer place. You've got to defend your prayer time. You've got to defend, defend your time with the Father. He says, keep the fire burning. You've got to defend it. He says, burn some wood on it every morning. But watch this, lay the burn offering and order on it. Then he says in Leviticus 6.13, A fire shall always, someone say always, be burning on the altar, it shall never go out. Listen to me. You might not always be in a season of asking. You might not always be in a season of seeking. You might not always be in a season of knocking. But you are always in a season of keeping the fire burning. When you don't know what to do, you do know what to do. Keep the wood on the fire. Keep being in the Father's presence. See, you keep the fire burning by spending time in the secret place with our God who is a consuming fire. You can't keep the fire burning without spending time with the burning one, our God. You can't be consumed with the love of God and the passion of God without spending time with God who is love, who is passionate for His purpose in you and through you and for the people and the nations around us. Listen, God desires to progress you in the order of God. He desires to move you from just petitions to purpose to open doors. Come on, say it with me. Petitions, purpose, open doors. God longs to move you, to transition you. In conclusion, I want to tell a story that we find in Scripture in Acts chapter 10 and 11. Dr. Luke records and gives account of this story. It's about prayer partners, about how prayer not only partners us with God and partners us with His hand and partners us with what He's doing today, but prayer also partners us with key connections find prayer partners Peter and Cornelius. What's interesting is Peter and Cornelius had never met yet. And yet in the Spirit, they became prayer partners. I want to encourage some people today that it's easy for God to partner people together when the people have been faithfully partnering in prayer with God. I want to tell you that it's a lot easier for God to birth the church. It's a lot easier for God to birth the ministry. It's a lot easier for God to birth the giving team, for God to birth something that's in His heart for the needs of people around us when He's got people... Partnering consistently in prayer, keeping the fire burning. It's easy for God to bring the connections together when you have people faithfully partnering with God in prayer. This is what you see in Peter and Cornelius. Dr. Luke says about Cornelius that he was a devout man. He was one who feared God with all his household. Watch this. Who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Someone say always. We know that he didn't just do charitable deeds and we know that he didn't just pray always because in Acts 10 30 he says I was fasting here's a man that was living out the context of what Jesus said his community and what first things in his community looks like here's a man that in following Jesus learned to partner with God in the first things he was praying always he was giving always he was fasting and now I guarantee you Cornelius is at a point saying listen I've learned to be consistent in keeping the fire burning in the first thing. God, what do you want to do next in my life? And I feel it for some people. I know that people ain't seen what's happened in the secret place, but the Father who sees in secret wants to reward you openly. He's seen that you've laid some wood on the the altar every day. He sees the order of how you've allowed Him to progress you through getting your needs met to asking Him, God, what is my purpose And God now wants you to begin to knock and see some doors open because you have what you need. You're clear on what you have. And God wants fruitfulness to abound in you and through you. And this is what we find in Cornelius' life. The Scripture says, in Acts 10 verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius! When he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Watch this. Your prayers and your alms, now he was fasting at this point as well, have come up for a memorial before God. God has seen the consistency. It's built like a memorial. It's like before the presence of God, there is now a memorial. There is like stones built up. There is a memorial. There's evidence that you're keeping the fire burning. You're putting wood on the altar every morning. Says says, come up for a memorial before God. Verse 5, now send men to Joppa. Send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. Watch this. He will tell you what you must do. See, sometime knocking leads to God speaking and using people around you to show you what you must do next. Now that you have your needs met, now that you're clear on the path and the assignment and the gifts He's given you. Verse 9 says, The next day as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray in about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and an object like a great sheep bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals on the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times. And the object was taken up into heaven again. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what with the vision, with this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry from Simon's house and stood before the gate. I love this. Watch this, verse 19. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. This is amazing. Here's Cornelius. He says, God, I'm going to keep the first things. So now what is the path of righteousness you want to lead me on for your name's sake? What is next for me, Father? So important that it's as he's focused on the first things, God begins to open up the next things. Here's Peter seeking to understand the application of the vision. And as he's seeking to understand the application of the vision, three people are seeking him. Can I tell some of you that set your heart to seek? the vision and what God has shown you, that He's also got other people that's seeking for the connection of it. you got to begin to have a confidence that what God showed you, He's not called you to do alone, that He's also stirring others who are being faithful with the first things, that there's about to be a connection. There's about to be a divine connection that God would bring get glory out of our lives. Peter's seeking to understand, and there's three people seeking him and they're knocking at the gate. See, prayer partners people in God's kingdom and for His purpose. Prayer aligns people that God's called to work together for kingdom assignment, for local churches, for ministries that He wants to come out of local churches. Here's Peter, and I am confident in thinking that Peter's resting at a house at Seaside. He's on a vacation. He's resting at a house Seaside. And I wonder, and I bet, this is what I think, that he's also thinking, what's next for me, God? Here's Cornelia saying what's next for me. Here's Peter saying what's next for me. But the key ingredient beyond that is they both kept wood on the fire every day. They both had the first things in their life, and God partners them together. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.